Good morning. Please stand with me and read together the call to worship, which is from Psalm 62, but it's also inside in your bulletin. Truly, our souls find rest in God. Our salvation comes from Him. Yes, my soul, find rest in God. Our hope comes from Him. Our salvation and our honor depend on God. He is our mighty rock, our refuge. Let us pray. Lord, thank you that we can gather here in your name, our rock and our redeemer, our refuge. And as we gather, Lord, we lift you up and we worship you for you alone are worthy to be worshiped. All glory and honor and praise unto you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Welcome to our worship service today. We're going to take a moment, invite you to take a moment to share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship this morning.
If you've ever wished for an opportunity to use your gifts or maybe just to serve, whether you feel like these are your gifts or not, uh, we have some opportunities for you in the next couple of weeks. We are looking for some folks who will help with Children's Church on the two weekends that encompass the college break, March 2nd, March 9th. I know that some of you may not be around, but if you're here, uh, it would be uh, greatly appreciated. And it's an opportunity for you to work with our children and uh, just one more interaction with them to help them know how much God loves them and how much we as a church love them. There's a sign-up sheet in the back in the foyer. Uh, just feel free to jot your name down, and Emily Hoffman will get in touch with you about materials and what you need to do. So we appreciate your help with that. Also, uh, during the break, we are uh, sponsoring uh, a mini-missions experience with Wellspring Ministries in Angelica. Sometimes on these trips, we go a long ways away. This time, we are staying close by and uh, working on helping them with a project there and also an opportunity to interact with the folks who are there at Wellspring. If you're interested in that, there's a sign-up sheet on the lower foyer. And uh, whether you're a college student or uh, someone who lives here year-round, We'd lo- welcome your involvement, and uh, you can talk to Pastor Kevin uh, if you have more, uh, if you have questions or would like more information about that. There are a number of prayer concerns in the bulletin. We want to continue to pray for Brian Maston and his family at the recent death of his brother, and also we want to pray for Ruth Hutton's family. Ruth died Friday morning, and we want to uh, we want to uh, offer our prayers for them. And her arrangements, Friday, the visitation will be held at uh, Copley Williams Funeral Home from 5 to 8, Friday evening. And the service will be Saturday, 2 o'clock, here at the church. So the visitation, Friday, 5 to 8, in Fillmore, and the service will be here Saturday at 2 o'clock with the visitation an hour before. I know that they would appreciate our prayers. We are so privileged in all the ways in which God has blessed us. And uh, we have the opportunity now to give back to him uh, out of all of those blessings. And so I want to invite you to stand as we prepare to give our tithes and offerings and we sing the Gloria Patri. Father, the world is yours. We are yours. All of creation is yours. You have blessed us beyond our ability to count, to measure. This morning, out of gratitude, we give back to you in thanksgiving with hearts that desire to praise you and worship you. Receive our gifts. And let us know your joy at our generosity. We pray this through Christ Jesus. Amen. Please be.
The Old Testament scripture reading comes from the book of Nehemiah, chapter 13, verses 15 through 22. Hear the word of the Lord. In those days I saw men in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in grain and loading it on donkeys, together with wine, grapes, figs, and all other kinds of loads. And they were bringing all this into Jerusalem on the Sabbath. Therefore I warned them against selling food on that day. Men from Tyre who lived in Jerusalem were bringing in fish and all kinds of merchandise and selling them in Jerusalem on the Sabbath to the people of Judah. I rebuked the nobles of Judah and said to them, What is this wicked thing you are doing, desecrating the Sabbath day? Didn't your forefathers do the same things, so that our God brought all this calamity upon us and upon this city? Now you are stirring up more wrath against Israel by desecrating the Sabbath. When evening shadows fell on the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I ordered the doors to be shut and not open until the Sabbath was over. I stationed some of my own men at the gates so that no load could be brought in on the Sabbath day. Once or twice, the merchants and sellers of all kinds of goods spent the night outside Jerusalem. But I warned them and said, Why do you spend the night by the wall? If you do this again, I will lay hands on you. From that time on, they no longer came on the Sabbath. Then I commanded the Levites to purify themselves and go and guard the gates in order to keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember me for this also, O my God, and show mercy to me according to your great love. This is the word of the Lord. Join me in the prayer of confession that is printed in your bulletin. Holy and merciful God, in your presence we confess our sinfulness, our shortcomings, and our offenses against you. You alone know how often we have sinned in wandering from your ways, in wasting your gifts in forgetting your love. Have mercy on us, O Lord, for we are ashamed and sorry for all we have done to displease you. Forgive our sins and help us to live in your light and walk in your ways for the sake of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.
As we offer our prayers together, if you would like to use the altar rail as the place where you offer your prayers, please come and join me. Father, to people living in darkness, it is a a special, special thing to know that you want to flood our lives with your light. We recognize how easily sin entangles us enslaves us. And we need your light. We need the grace of your presence. We need your mercy with us. We thank you for promising and giving it to us. Father, this morning as we gather in this place, we think about the world in which we live. And there is much darkness, pain, hurt, war, chaos. We pray for your people around the world and the witness that we have to this world. We pray especially for our brothers and sisters who who every day put their lives on the line simply by worshiping you. We pray that you would protect them. We pray that you would help their light to glow in the midst of darkness. We pray that you would strengthen them. And we ask that you would use their witness to encourage us about our witness. Father, we pray for the burdens and concerns that are among us. We pray for Brian and his family that you would comfort them in their grief. We pray for Ruth's family. We thank you for her faithful witness in this church and in this community for so many years. We pray that you would would bring healing and comfort to every grieving heart. We pray for all who are struggling with illness and pain all of those things that, that come to us in these frail, fragile, broken bodies. We pray for Donna and Bill and John. Pray for Bev and Edna, for Linda and Micah. We pray for Bonnie. We pray for Crystal and Bill and Emily. And for others who are on our hearts and in our minds this morning. And we ask for your healing grace. For your presence upon each of them. Father, we thank you for hearing our prayers. We thank you for your gracious invitation as your children to come to you. 
and to tell you all of the things that are on our hearts and to learn of you and to hear you. We offer our prayers today in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, our intercessor, our returning King, and the one who teaches us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Please stand as we read the gospel together. And the reading comes from the gospel of Mark, chapter 2, beginning at verse 23 through the sixth verse of chapter 3. Hear the word of the Lord. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abithar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for the priest to eat, and he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Another time he went to the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. This is the word of the Lord.
Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. When you hear the word Sabbath, what comes to your mind? Is that a positive word or a negative word to you? Sabbath. Is it a word that engenders uh, good feelings or maybe not good feelings? Someone said to me recently, I have sort of a love-hate relationship with the Sabbath. And, And I understand that. Growing up in a pretty conservative environment, quite frankly, Sunday was the most boring day of the week. You know, it really wasn't a day I looked forward to. Um, And I don't know about your experience. If you grew up in church, maybe you had similar experiences. Maybe you didn't grow up in in a church at all. And so you're thinking, I don't have any idea. I have no context for that word. But I found through the years and my own journey as well as talking with other people and looking at how we address this idea of Sabbath, we tend to see it as pretty low down on the scale of of elements of being a Christian and being a follower of Jesus. it's, It's pretty low. We think, you know, there are a lot more important things than worrying about Sabbath. We need to be praying. We need to be reading the Bible. We need, we need to be witnessing. We, we need to be doing all these other things. And Sabbath keeping is it's not bad necessarily, but it's pretty low down the list. And as I have walked through my own journey and as I have walked through this journey with other people, and as I read the scriptures, I have come to discover that if that is our mindset, we are terribly wrong. Because when you read the scriptures, this idea of keeping Sabbath is not at the bottom of the list. It's near the top. You think about the Israelites coming out of Egypt and God sets them down in the desert. And he says to them, all right, I got all these things I want to tell you about what it means to be my people. And I'm going to summarize them into 10 things. And one of those ten things is remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. That kind of makes it important to me. When you read the Gospels, it's amazing how many times out of all the stories that the Gospel writers could tell us about Jesus. John seems to imply that there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of stories that are not included in the Gospels. Of all the stories that the gospel writers could tell us about Jesus, it's amazing how many of them are connected to the Sabbath. Jesus going to the synagogue on the Sabbath. Jesus going to the temple on the Sabbath. The story we read this morning. Jesus healing on the Sabbath and the chaos that that creates. Over and over again, you see this, this context of Jesus' ministry connected to the Sabbath. And he keeps Sabbath. And when we read, come back a little bit to Nehemiah, we see it again. Nehemiah lives after the exile. 
and he is off in, in Persia. And he gets this burden for Jerusalem. The, the city is in shambles. The wall is crumbled around the city. And he gets this burden to go back and rebuild the wall. And, and the king says, okay, you go. And he goes back and he restores the wall around the city. He rebuilds it. And they now have security. And they begin to rebuild the city. And, and things are, are, the place is thriving. And, and it's beginning to be restored back to something important. And people want to live there again. And they want to work there. And they want to trade there. And once the thing, all, everything is secure, they pull out the book of the law and begin to read it. And there are a lot of people in, in, who are now living in Jerusalem who have never seen the book of the law. And as they read that, Nehemiah realizes there's some stuff here we're not doing. And he begins walking them through it. And one of them is keeping the Sabbath. He says, I, all of a sudden I realize these people are trading and buying and selling on the Sabbath. They're treating it as if it's no different than any other day. And I realized I have to do something about this. And what does he do? Sunset on Friday night, he shuts the doors to the city. And on a few occasions when some of the, the merchants from other communities camp outside, he threatens them with physical violence. Because they are enticing the Israelites to want to not keep the Sabbath. This is serious for him. And the more I think about Sabbath and, and why God places such importance on it, I, I've come to realize that in a sense, almost everything that we know and everything that it means to be a follower of God is connected to keeping the Sabbath. The problem is we have skewed views of what it means to be Sabbath keepers. There are a variety of ways that we can go about thinking related to Sabbath as Christians. Of course, one of the, one of the mindset that you will find with people is that we don't need to practice Sabbath anymore because we're Christians. We don't worship on the Sabbath Saturday. We worship on Sunday, the Lord's Day, the day of the resurrection of Christ. And, and every Sunday is intended to be a mini Easter. As we come together and we celebrate the fact that Christ has risen. And that's why we celebrate and worship on Sunday and not Saturday. And so there are people who say because of that shift, we don't have to worry at all about Sabbath. But that would mean that we are now living with the nine commandments instead of the ten. And that just doesn't seem right to me. It seems like if God really felt it was that important, then all of a sudden we wouldn't just ignore it. Probably the more common idea is that what we... what. A lot of conservative churches have done through the years is to say we're going to take all the Old Testament demands and we're just going to overlay those onto Sunday. So all of the rules and the regulations about Sabbath are now the rules and the regulations that we practice about Sunday. And the whole concept is about what we cannot do. And you see that in the passage from Mark's Gospel. I mean, the whole thing is you're not allowed to do that on the Sabbath. The rule overrules the good that Jesus wants to do. And quite frankly, a lot of, of evangelical churches through, through the years 
whether they want to admit it or not, have followed that practice. It's the rules that matter. And, and we have this checklist of rules. These are the things that you do not do, you're not allowed to do on Sunday. And as long as you can check off that list, then you're good. The problem is, that makes Sabbath a negative. And I'm convinced God intends it to be a positive. It's not, Sabbath is not intended to primarily be about rules against. It is primarily intended to be freedom from. The Ten Commandments are set in the context of the Israelites coming out of Egyptian slavery. And at the beginning of both places, Deuteronomy 5 and Exodus 20, where the Ten Commandments are listed, it begins with God saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the hand of Pharaoh. Now, here's what you need to do. The Sabbath is intended for Israel to let them know they don't have, they're not slaves anymore. They have freedom to take a day of rest. Slaves don't get a day of rest. Slaves don't call in sick. Slaves don't say, mm, you know what? I don't think I'm going to go today. You don't do that as slaves. Slaves, you work and work and work. And for 400 some years, the Israelites have been slaves working every single day. They are at the mercy of the Egyptians. All of their life is about working, working, working. And now God says, you don't have to do that anymore. I have set you free from slavery. You're not slaves anymore. You're my children. You're free. And to, and to prove that to you, I'm giving you one day a week that you step back from your work and you don't have to on that day. It's a gift. But when you've been a slave for 400 years and your whole mindset is, is about being a slave, it's hard to break that habit. And when we come to, to Nehemiah, we find that the people don't want to give up Sabbath because, quite frankly, they make a lot of money on Sabbath. I'm convinced if we want to break a spirit of, of greed... One of the best things to do is to start practicing Sabbath. Because the very practice of saying, I'm not going to do anything on this day that will, that will gain something for me, that will bring more money to me, that will bring more possessions to me. I will take a day every week when I don't do that. That whole sense of I've got to have more begins to crumble. And one of the reasons we don't practice Sabbath is because we're so enamored with getting more. There is a direct correlation between practicing Sabbath and our mindset about materialism. We all know it's true. We wrestle with it. I suspect for many of us, maybe the bigger issue is not so much materialism, what we get, as it is as it is the work that we do and the things we accomplish. That's the, that's the hinge point for us. We don't want to give up the Sabbath because we have too much to do. We don't want to give up the Sabbath because we've got to accomplish this. 
We have, we have something else to write. We have an exam to study for. We've got a proposal to get ready. We've got a lecture to prepare. We've got all these things to do. And, and, it, and it's all good stuff. And we don't want to give up Sabbath because if we do, it will be less than what it could be. And we can't let it be less than it could be because our value and worth is tied up in what we accomplish. And scripture tells us, no, your value and worth is tied up in the fact that you're children of God. God doesn't love us anymore because we accomplish more. God doesn't pour out more grace on us because we got more done. Or because we got that promotion or we went up the ladder or we, we whatever. Got better grades. And I I, I know the wheels are turning in your mind as they turn in mine. But there's always that. But you don't understand. I do understand. There's always more work I can do on a sermon. There's always more. There's always another thing that I need to write an article for. There's always more people to see. There's always more to do. My to-do list never gets done. So I, I understand that. I understand what it feels like to, to, to be so enmeshed in thinking that our value and worth is in what we accomplish. That will kill us. Because you never get to the end of that. There's always more, always more, always more. And God is saying... You are valuable to me. I love you. You're important to me, not because of what you accomplish, but simply because of who you are. And every time we take Sabbath, we are declaring and affirming that our value and worth is in God, not in what we accomplish. And we're also recognizing that that everything we have and everything we have ever done is because God has been good to us. I think this is especially hard for Christians. We look around the world and we see all the need. We see people who are burdened and without Jesus. And we see people who are hurting. And, and, and the compassion that the Spirit gives us wants to reach out to them. And that is a good thing. We want to help people know Christ. We want to bring more people into the kingdom. But it, it is a fine line between wanting to help people and feeling as though we can never stop. We can never step back because the underlying idea is if we don't do it, it's not going to get done. Which, of course, implies that their salvation's in our hands, not in God's. And what it starts out as something good and positive and, and necessary and biblical gets twisted just a little bit. And it's back to look at what we do. Now, this isn't intended to undermine the gift and the value of work. Work is a gift of God. I didn't used to think that. You know, I, I used to think that, that work was uh, the curse of God. You know, why do we have to work? But 
I'm convinced there is great joy in accomplishing things. There's great joy in producing things and creating things and using our minds and our talents and the gifts God's given us. There's great joy in that and blessing. I mean, Adam and Eve worked before the fall. They didn't work because they sinned. They just, when they sinned, it just meant work was now crushing them and ruling them and they became workaholics and it was going to be really, really difficult to get work done. But they worked from the very beginning. And I am convinced that when Christ brings in his kingdom and we live in the new heaven and the new earth, we will work. Because it's who God created us to be. It's, it's a part of being the image of God. Because he creates. He loves to create. He continues creating. It's a part of his being. And we who are, who are created in his image... Love to create too, and it's a gift of God. And I think we'll continue to do that. We just won't be workaholics. We just won't, work just won't crush us. It will be a joy. Work is a gift of God. And sometimes the reason we struggle with Sabbath is because we really don't give ourselves to work when it's time to work. And then we feel under the gun and we can't really take Sabbath. But the gift of work doesn't undermine this truth that, that we, need to, we need to step back. Years ago, I heard a minister say that um, his, his motto for life was basically, he didn't, you know, he didn't take vacations. He rarely ever took days off. And he says, model for life was, if Satan doesn't take a day off, then I'm not taking a day off. He said, and then one day it hit him, maybe Satan shouldn't be the role model around which I pattern my life. <laughs> he has a point. Satan isn't the one who, who takes a rest. God does. God doesn't need to rest at the seventh day of creation, however we interpret that. But he does. God is the one who steps back and says, it's good. Time to take a break. Time to rest. It is the evil one who doesn't rest. And as people who are created in the image of God, as people who are children of God, it is a gift of God that we have Sabbath. It's a chance to recharge our emotional, mental, physical, spiritual batteries. It's an opportunity to step back and reflect on life. In all the busyness of our lives, we seldom take time to reflect and think about where our lives are headed, about our relationship with God, about our relationship with other people. We need regular time to step back so that God can speak into our lives to encourage us, to convict us, to help us, to move us back onto the track that we may have gotten off of. It's a gift. The Israelites see the closing of the doors to the city as, as sort of a reprimand by Nehemiah. They see it as something negative. And I'm sure the people outside the gate are thinking, what is wrong with those stupid Israelites? 
You're wasting a whole day. But for Nehemiah, he's simply helping people experience God in a way that they can't if he doesn't shut the door. If he doesn't shut the door, they're just going to go on with their lives day after day after day after day and, and, and never hear God speaking to them, never hear God telling them, you're my beloved children. You're important to me. You're valuable to me. I've got so much to give to you. There's so much I want to do for you. Nehemiah says, folks, don't you remember? This is one of the reasons we ended up in Persia and Babylon. Because we didn't, we didn't practice Sabbath. And we got so off track that God said, all right, we've got to stop and do something about this. We don't want that to happen again. Sabbath keeping is one of the ways in which we hear God telling us who we are in his eyes. And what we can be through his spirit. And ultimately it reflects our view of God. Not taking Sabbath subtly sends the message that we believe that God can't quite do it without us. God is great, but if if we're not pressing it every single moment then there's going to be problems. And if I asked for a show of hands, how many people believe that? Nobody would raise their hand externally, but internally, maybe, by our actions, maybe, certainly. And we don't mean to imply that, but that's exactly what we are implying. And what kind of message are we sending to the rest of the world Our values, how we view ourselves, how we view God, how we view life is no different than everyone else who says, we've got to push it, push it, push it. It's all about what I do. We want to send a subtle message to the world that says, no, it's about what God does. And anything we accomplish is because of his grace and his goodness. We're just excited to be channels. Stop and think about how we might more effectively practice Sabbath keeping. We could mandate that. We could go to everyone's home on Sunday and gather everybody down to the church and make sure we're all following the rules. Nehemiah does that, but he lives in a theocracy and that's totally different. He's got some clout. You know, we live in a different culture. We live in a different world. We have to make our own decisions about whether we are going to close the door on a regular basis. And closing the door will mean we commit to to corporate worship because we need each other. We need to be reminded when we come together of the great things of God. We need to be reminded of, of of what God wants to say to us. We need to be reminded that we need Him and we need each other. 
And whether we walk out thinking, I got something out of that or not, in some ways really isn't the point. It is the practice of coming together, committing this time to each other and to God, and simply letting God speak to us as he wants to. And we also have this sense of of the Sabbath day being a day where instead of what we can't do, what we can do. On this day, we don't have to we don't have to work. We can have fun. We can enjoy family and friends. We can rest. We can do something that brings joy to our souls. And that will be different for all of us. Some of the ancient rabbis were, you know, they were asked, what's allowed on the Sabbath? And they would say, if it's something that, that, that produces monetary value for you, it's not allowed on the Sabbath. If it's something that you think of as work, it's not allowed on the Sabbath. But if it's something that brings you joy and restores you, go for it. So for some people working in the garden is not allowed on Sunday. For other people, they ought to be working in the garden as much as they can because when they're finished, they feel their soul restored. They've been in the earth. They never get to be in the earth. And they've got to do something. They've done something that brings joy. And we all have to make those decisions for ourselves. But we're making the decision. We're thinking about it. We're processing it. We're asking ourselves what brings me joy? What restores me? What gift of God can I experience on this day? And maybe Sunday is a day where a lot of times you don't get time off. Maybe it's not that day, but there needs to be some day that we shut the door and we say no to whatever the obligations are in our lives. Maybe it's not just once a week. How about every day? I don't know how your day begins, but for a lot of people, the day begins by jumping out of bed, hopping into the shower. Maybe it's getting the kids ready for school or it's gathering up all of your stuff for work and then it's grab a cup of coffee and out the door. And what you find is that all the rest of the day just feels like that pace rushed. I wonder how different the day would be if somewhere in that morning schedule we were able to find 15 minutes or 30 minutes to just stop, to meditate on some scripture, to pray, to think, take some deep breaths. During the day, to catch five minutes here, 10 minutes there, to just shut the door, either physically or metaphorically, on ourselves to just experience God anew and to recharge. I'm not going to guarantee you that you're going to get more work done, but I'm pretty sure we'll treat people better. I'm pretty sure we'll see life differently. I'm pretty sure we will feel much more valued by God. And that has a way of changing so much of who we are and what we do. My challenge to us this morning is this. 
wherever you sense the struggle, the day of the week, the morning, some point during the day, I I don't know where your struggle is. But wherever your struggle may be, we're going to take just a few moments to just sit and think and pray about how and about that place where the door is open and it needs to be shut. And to ask God to give us the ability to make that a part of our routine. And to have the courage to take that step and to trust him. Father, as we listen to you, we are at different places in our journey of Sabbath keeping. Help us to see it as a gift and give us the grace and the courage to close the door In those moments, in those times, so that we may experience more fully your gift. And out of that closed door, work in us, speak to us, change us. We pray this through the mercy of In the grace of Jesus Christ, amen. In closing this morning, I invite you to stand as we sing together hymn number 375.
May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Thank you.